All right, man, I hope you're doing well. Uh, my name's Jim. If you're new to Summit Church, we're just really glad that you're here. We are a community of faith seeking to change the world through more and better followers of Jesus. We believe that God has called us to follow him closely and to join in his work around the people who he's put around us. That's called your oikos, these people. It's a Greek New Testament term. It means the people that God has put right in front of your life. He wants you to serve them. And so, man, this is what we're about, and we're really glad that you are here. We're in a series in Ephesians called Made for More, and we're taking one chapter a week, and we're making some shifts in our life because we were made for more. A lot of Christians are discouraged, uh, uh, anxious, worried, afraid, floundering, and God has more for you than that. And so Ephesians is a uniquely powerful book of the New Testament because in it, it's all about how the church can be the people of God, what it is to be the church, what it is to be the people of God, and how to live out the fullness of Jesus in our lives. So that all sounds kind of like religious. It just, as I heard that coming out of my mouth, it sounds like a bunch of religious language. But here's the deal. Man, God wants you to have more, more of Him, more of peace, more of fulfillment, purpose, and mission in your life, more of uh, anchoredness in Him. And so today, we're on shift number three. So our first shift was from more effort to more Jesus. A lot of religion tells you to just grind it out, try harder, do better, uh, you know, work hard. And Jesus calls us from more effort to more Jesus. Uh, so that was our, our first big shift. Last week, our shift in chapter two was from more doing to more being, that in fact, God is transforming us and all that we do flows out of who we be. And so being with God, being transformed by God is really the, the birthplace of everything good that comes out of our lives. So now we're in chapter three and we're gonna shift from more guilt to more love. If you're a guilt person, you have come to the right place today. If you're online and you're a guilt person, you are in the right spot because God is gonna speak to you about why you should let your guilt go and live in the love of God and then live your life out of that love. So we're in Ephesians chapter three. Our big idea today is that you were made to guilt less and love more. This is what you were made to do. And so, uh, man, I'm super excited about um, any of you who battle guilt or shame, finding your way to a different way of life. Psychologists tell us that if we could rid the world of guilt and shame, we could empty 80% of the hospital beds in America. It's killing us. Our guilt is killing us. Our shame is killing us. And Jesus came to set us free from it. And so, man, uh, lean in and hear the word of God today. So we're in Ephesians chapter 3. I want you to get there in a paper Bible or in your phone or in some way. And I want you to pay attention to it as we go through it today. So uh, it is my hope every week that you will anchor in the scriptures with me, look at them, let them uh, read them, own them, maybe mark up your Bible. Uh, there will come a point where we have a Bible provided in every chair, and uh, you'll be able to even mark up that Bible uh, if you want to. I find that as I make notes in my Bible, I remember things, they get deeper in me. The word of God is just so critically important to our lives. So I hope you have that open, and uh, I hope you're ready to lean in. We got a sunny, beautiful day out there. I don't know what you got planned. There's no football. There's some, you know, golf tournament that Tiger withdrew from, so who cares? 
Uh, there's no baseball. I don't even know what you're going to do today. It's a good nap day, maybe. Uh, if you can see my hands, I've got a new puppy. Sue and I got a puppy, and my hands look like I've gone through a buzzsaw because I'm teaching the dog to soft chew. And apparently, I'm a terrible teacher because he's just shredding me to pieces. All right, Ephesians 3, we're going to read verses 1 to 21, which is the entire chapter. And uh, it's, a, it's a lengthier read than normal. And I hope you're up for it. I believe you're up for it. And uh, I believe the Lord is going to speak to us. So if you're willing and able, it is our custom to stand for the reading of God's word. And here we go. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Wow, my Bible has a typo right there. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Operator error, almost always. That's the story of my life. Uh, all husbands, you do this. You say to your wife, who moved the whatever? Only it's right where it's supposed to be and you just couldn't see it. All right, let's start again. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery, watch the word mystery, it's going to occur four times, uh, th that was given to me, that, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel of the, the Gentiles, our heirs together with Israel members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make it plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Holy cow. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is the word of God. You can be seated. Thanks so much. All right, we're going to talk about the enslaving power of guilt we're going to talk about the mystery and wisdom of grace, and we're going to talk about living in the fullness of the full measure of the wholeness of God. 
That's what's offered to us. So let's get going about guilt. You'll see in verse 8 there that Paul says, This gift was given to me in spite of the fact that I am less than the least of all God's people. Paul says of himself there, I am less than the least of all of you. Paul is referring to his sense that he is the least worthy person to be loved by God that there ever was. He will use this phrase in other writings of his where he will say, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. I am the worst sinner. And so Paul's got a deal going here that it's really important we pay attention to. If you don't know much about Paul, his name was Saul before it became Paul. And as Saul, he was a Pharisee, and he went around actually executing Christians, Jews who became followers of Jesus. It was a personal mission of his to eliminate what he called this sect of the way from the face of the earth. He believed that Jesus was not the Messiah, that Jesus was a distraction, that he was anti-God, and that it was his mission to not only eradicate that movement on the earth, but to literally kill Jews who had become to believe in Jesus. So the first one was Stephen. You can read about that in Acts about chapter 8, I believe, uh, where Stephen is martyred, uh, stoned to death. And it says there that the people laid the people who stoned him to death laid their garments at the foot of Saul. From that point on, you see that Saul goes around literally with documentation from the high priest to drag Jews out of their homes and have them either murdered or incarcerated because of their belief in Jesus. This is, this is uh, you know, you may think you've done some bad stuff, and you, you, you probably have. <laughs> uh, you have. Uh, but I doubt that you've gone door to door dragging people out and killing them in the street turning wives into widows and children into orphans. But this is what he did. We're talking about Rwanda. We're talking about anything you can remember where this kind of stuff goes on with, with ethnic genocide and cleansing. This is what he did. And then God apprehends him, reveals Jesus to him, and he flips into this radical person who will end up writing the majority of the New Testament who plants more churches, who's responsible for a great move of God, he becomes an incredible apostle of Jesus. But he carried around this reality of what he had done. There's a movie that came out in 2018 called Paul the Apostle of Christ. Paul the Apostle of Christ, or just Paul Apostle of Christ. Anyway, I took a bunch of high school seniors to see this movie, and they all had like restless leg syndrome while I'm having the time of my life. Uh, but this was uh, a movie about the Apostle Paul in prison in Rome and the church there being persecuted by a Roman emperor named Nero and uh, the church debating on whether it should flee Rome and save itself or whether it should serve God and suffer persecution. Nero was taking Christians and dipping them in tar and burning them on post to light up his parties. He was killing Christians every night of every week, and Paul is in prison. And in that movie, they show Paul, uh, they portray him this way, that he has nightmares every night. And in these nightmares, he sees the faces of the Christian Jews that he executed, and he can't stop seeing them. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about he had a thorn in his flesh, 
And people have argued forever, what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? And a lot of people say, well, it was his bad eyesight. And Paul had bad eyesight, and it was in an era with no corrective lenses, and he loved to read and write. Uh, but I don't think that's what it is, because Paul said, God has given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Let me correct myself. He didn't say God gave it to me. There has been given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. A messenger brings a message. And I think that this messenger of Satan was the continuous conviction and sorrow and guilt for what he had done prior to knowing Jesus. Some of you know exactly what that's like, and you wrestle with guilt and with shame. It's interesting, just side note here, he says, a thorn in my flesh. The word flesh there is the word sarks. I love this word. It means not just your fleshly body. It means the, the you that is a slave to your appetites, your thoughts, and your feelings. And it frequently is used in the New Testament to portray the power, the energy of your flesh, of yourself, that is contrary and in conflict with the Spirit of God. So Paul already, like all of us, has this part of us that is not only resistant to what God wants to do in our life and resistant to His Lordship in our life, but actually fights against that and is enslaved to its own appetites and thoughts and feelings. Now he has a thorn in that thing that is driving him crazy. He says, three times I prayed that God would remove this thorn. And his answer was to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And when you are weak with this thorn, you are strong in Christ. That was his answer. Some of you know what it's like to carry around enormous guilt and shame. Now, here's the thing I want to help you with, because Paul was delivered from his guilt and yet he was still guilty. This is, the, this is the mental problem for us, is because I don't want to have guilt, and yet I am guilty. See, Christ's work in you is not declaring a verdict, not guilty. It's declaring a verdict, guilty, paid in full by Jesus himself. So it's not that you ever play a head game with yourself and say, well, I didn't actually do anything wrong. No, you know you did, and you did, and the Lord knows you did, but he wants you to live free from guilt, not because you're not guilty, but because Jesus paid the penalty of your guilt on your behalf, paid in full. So the challenge for us is to walk in this freedom, and what we have to do is trade our guilt for gratitude. Unworthy though we are, maybe we are, we would say like Paul, I am the least of the least of all God's people. Man, I sucked and I'm broken and I still battle. I'm the least of all the least, yes, but the penalty for my brokenness, the penalty for my sin and my guilt and my sin has been paid in full. And so this is the dilemma for all of us who are Christ followers, is to live in the joy of a penalty paid while still knowing that we were guilty in real time. And so uh, this, is, this is the, and, and here's the thing, 
There's only one being in the universe who wants you to stay wrapped around your guilt and your sin. And that is the enemy who's trying to keep you from enjoying what Jesus died to give you. I mean, Jesus paid an incredible price. God himself took on flesh and bore all of sin on the cross, nailed our condemnation to the tree. What a price was paid. And there's an enemy that doesn't want you to live in the joy and the freedom of that. And so there's a, there's a hounding, there's a guilt. And so, man, it is a slave master. So what we have to do, and you notice how Paul introduced himself in chapter 3? Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul traded his slavery to guilt for prison to Christ. Instead of being enslaved by my guilt, I have to attach myself as a prisoner of Christ. Because here's what the Bible says about you because of what Jesus did for you, that he purchased you. He didn't just redeem you. He didn't just forgive you. He didn't just pay the penalty of your sin. He actually purchased you for himself. So he bought you with a price. And that price wasn't silver or gold, the Bible tells us. It was the precious blood of God himself. And so you are purchased by him. You belong to him. And so Paul trades slavery to my guilt and shame for imprisonment to the love of Jesus who purchased me, redeemed me, bought me, continues to love me, lives in me. This is a transaction you have to make and then live in the new transaction or else you're going to keep dragging around your guilt and your shame, which is going to handicap you and enslave you. And it's like uh, I brought to two cards, okay? So uh, this is my debit card. And this is a credit card. Uh, ooh, this one has my picture on the back, and it's not pretty. Uh, the difference between a debit card and a credit card is a debit card takes money that already exists and spends it. A credit card spends money that you have to pay back later. Many of you have a credit card relationship with God. You say, well, he forgave me, but I got to pay it back. And uh, I'm, uh, you know, he, he pronounced me free, but I got to keep paying it back. And whenever he's kind to me and gracious to me, I got to keep paying it back. And to you, you're just racking up a bigger bill with God. When in reality, what Paul came to understand is that there is an account, a limitless account of love and grace and kindness from Jesus that has been made on your account, and you can draw on that sucker every single day, and you never have to pay a credit back. You never have a debt because you were purchased and you belong to him. You're his son. You're his daughter. You are his beloved, and he has given you this limitless account of love and forgiveness and kindness and grace. So keep racking up the bill because it's money that's already there spent for you. What's, how sad would it be for you to get to your death with an account full of grace and mercy and love that you never tapped into because you had a credit card relationship with God? And instead of enjoying what Jesus has given to you, you are racked with guilt over what you still owe him. This is a paradigm shift that is transformational, forgiven, loved. So it depends on what you look at. What are you staring at? Are you staring at your sinfulness? 
Are you staring at the fact that you still are not worthy? By the way, you're not. If you have some illusion of grandeur that God's lucky to have you on his team, let's just set the record straight. You still suck. You suck less than you used to, but you still suck. You cannot achieve, you cannot be the righteousness of Christ. You can't do it. Christ can do it in you. So if you're still staring at the failure, if you're still staring at the guilt, if you're still staring at your failures and your sin, then you're going to keep living uh, bound and despaired and anxious and afraid. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with judgment. So in Christ, we are fearless because of what he has done for us. So what are you staring at? It strikes me that when I get out of the shower, the biggest mirror in the house is in the bathroom. Who thought of that? That the biggest mirror in the house is in the bathroom. I don't want to look at that. Some of you go, uh, if you look like me, you'd want to look at it. No, you wouldn't. We put the biggest mirror in the room where we're the most exposed. I'm going to tell you a weird story, and you can't, you can't judge me for it. So about 15 years ago, when I was pastor number three at this church, I met weekly with a group of guys for lunch. And uh, every week, and this group ranged in age from, there was a guy in his 20s and a guy in his 70s. We had everybody in between, and there's about eight or 10 of us. And uh, every week we would meet for lunch, and I would have, uh, we'd talk about sports or whatever, and then I would have the question of the day, and we would answer the question of the day. This particular day, the question was, what is a man who told you that, and are you one? And it blew my mind because everyone around the table all of them, no matter what age, said, I have no idea what a man is. No one's ever told me what a man is, and I have no idea if I really am a man. So we decided to, uh, you know, do man stuff. So we got a book, uh, Wild at Heart, John Eldridge. I'm sure many of you men have read it. And uh, so for the next several weeks, we did a chapter a week, and we talked about the chapter. And at the end of that book, I rented us a cabin up in the mountains, and we went up in the mountains, and we did man stuff. We lifted heavy objects, we spat, we cooked steaks, and uh, then we had this, uh, we, ha we also, we each brought our favorite man movie, so we watched thousands of people get killed, and uh, you know, you had Gladiator and all these man movies, Braveheart, everybody brought their favorite man movie, and we also had lots of conversations, and uh, there was a, a, a workbook that went with the book. And I, re I read through it to have some idea of some, some things for us to do while we're in the mountains for these couple days. And uh, so we did this exercise. This is the part that's just a little weird. But blame John Eldridge because I didn't think of it. It was, it was in the thing. The assignment was to go to your room and stand naked in front of a full-length mirror for five minutes. And you cannot divert your eyes. Okay, now this sounds really weird. As, even as I say it out loud, I'm realizing... What, are, what kind of outfit are you running here, man? But that's what we did. And I'm telling you, you stand in front of a full-length mirror naked for five minutes and you can't divert your eyes. For the first 90 seconds, maybe, you're thinking about how you should be changing things in your body. But after that, your mind goes lots of other places. And you start thinking about who you are. 
and you know this thing goes and then you get back together fully clothed and talk about your experience <clears throat> here's the thing i wrote this in my bible you might should write it in yours it's going to be on the screen to help you let me get back to ephesians 3 you know you have a firm grasp on jesus and his mystery when you can stand in the presence in his presence fully exposed and feel nothing but loved, forgiven, and restored. That's when you know that you have left guilt behind and you are living in the love of Jesus. That's how you know you have gone from being a slave of guilt and shame to being a prisoner of the incredible love of God. When you can stand fully exposed to God and have nothing but the feeling of love and forgiveness and restoration. This is living. This is mental health. This is emotional health. This is spiritual health. This is relational health. This changes everything. Oh, how I want this for you, that you would be able to be fully exposed. In fact, this becomes addictive, and the person in the world who fully knows me is Jesus Christ. And in his presence, I feel zero shame. Zero. This revolutionized my walk with God as, a, as really an early 30s pastor. I still struggled with guilt and shame. And it was finding my way to the absolute rootedness and foundation of the love of Christ. The, 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 the paying of my penalty, the gift of forgiveness, the love of God. Listen, if your relationship with God is flowing out of anything other than his incredible love for you, you still haven't found your way to total freedom. And so this is what, this is what Paul is calling us to, is to fix our eyes there. And even though he would say, hey, I'm, the less, I'm less than the least of all of you, and yet God has given me this great mystery. So let's pivot to the mystery and wisdom of the grace of God. And so we pick this up back at verse eight again. In fact, let me back up to verse seven. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me. Now watch this. To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Let's walk through that sentence because this is really cool. I have been called, he says, to preach to the Gentiles. Now, if you're not familiar with the word Gentile, it really means everything, everyone who's not a Jew. In fact, the word there is ethnos. It means all people of every nation, tribe, tongue. Okay, this is red, yellow, black, and white, all are precious in his sight. This is all human beings, all of them. This is the mystery that has been kept hidden in God until Christ came, that God loves all people. There is no human being ever have been formed that God does not love. Now, people will twist, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, and they will tell you that there are people God hates. I watched a preacher stand in front of thousands of people and tell them, some of you God hates. 
He doesn't hate your sin. He doesn't hate what you do. He hates you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Okay, this is the grace of God that the mystery, this is a mystery. How could it be that he loves everyone? I mean, I got lots of people I can't find the way to love. I got lots of people that tick me off. He loves everyone, all ethnos, everybody, all people. Watch this. And to make plain to, in case you didn't get it, everyone. Christ is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to faith in Christ. This is God's heart. He wants everyone. The administration of this mystery. I love this. I didn't see this till last night. I was dinking around doing a word study. Administration, you know what that word is? If you're a, if you're a summit person, you're going to love this. Oikonomos. God called Paul to proclaim to everyone the mystery of God's love and grace, oikonomously. That is one relationship at a time, right in where you live, work, study, and play. This has always been God's heart that he's gonna move this way. That's just a side note because it excites me so much. And if you're latching onto the oikos principle, it should excite you too. This is how God works and it's really cool. Uh, the mystery which ages past kept hidden. Now, walk, verse 10. God's intent, the intent of Jesus, was that now, through the church, through us, people who are uh, rooted and established in the love of Jesus, who are guilt-free and shame-free, who live transformed lives, God's intent was that through us, watch this, this is so cool, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. That is the many-faced wisdom of God. That you, like the wisdom of God is this giant diamond, and as you turn it, you see something different, light changes colors. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known through us. To who? Your first thought will be, well, to the ethnos, to the everyone, to the world. No, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Rulers and exousia, powers. The powers of the heavenlies are gonna be shown the manifold wisdom of God by you being guilt-free, shame-free, rooted in the love of Jesus, administering through your oikos this great love of God, bringing to everyone you know the great news that they don't have to be slaves to their guilt and shame anymore, but they can be prisoners of Jesus, bought by his love. You and I are the pathway that God wants to use, not just to change the world, but to demonstrate in the heavens the many-layered wisdom of God so that all the powers of the heavenly realms Watch the mystery and grace of Jesus change the whole world. Oh, man, if you have low self-esteem, you've just been given one of the greatest missions, the greatest mission and purpose in the history of the world. You are a living, breathing demonstration of the manifold wisdom of God as you shake off your guilt and shame and you live in the love of Jesus and then you offer to others also guilt-free forgiveness giving them what, a sense of what it feels like to be free. Man, the powers in the heavenlies look down at that and they go, whoa. What an incredible thing. Let's finish the last one now. 
We're going to drop down to verse 14, this prayer that Paul prays, because the way we do that is we live in the fullness. If you, This is uh, verse 19, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Listen, how's this for a high bar? Some of you, your bar is way too low. I just want to hold on, tie a knot in the rope and hold on till heaven comes because I'm about to die. I just want to hang on and suffer to the end. Man, there's so much more for you. He wants you to live in all the measure of the fullness of God himself, that you be transformed, free, whole, forgiven, redeemed, full of love and fearlessness and joy. So here's his prayer. How does that happen? How do I live in the fullness of the full measure of God? Well, we go through his prayer. I kneel before the Father, and I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power, dunamis, explosive power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart uh, through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have the power of God together to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know, I love this phrase, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know something that's unknowable. I want you to know something that is beyond full comprehension, the love of Christ. That then, then you may be filled with to the measure of all the fullness of God. How does this happen? Rooted, established, built on one thing, the love of Christ. You can kiss your guilt and shame goodbye. Why? Because of the love of Christ. You can demonstrate to the powers of demons in the heavens the manifold wisdom of God. How? By living in the love of Christ. Christ. The enemy wants you to feel guilty. He wants you to feel ashamed. And you know what? Apart from Christ, you ought to, because you are, in fact, guilty. But in Christ, you should feel nothing but gratitude, for he took your guilt, and he took your sin, and he took your shame, and he suffered for the full payment of your penalty, and now you are forgiven. How do I live in all the fullness of the full measure of the fullness of God? I am rooted and established in love. Now look at this love. Okay, last thought. That you could know by the power of God in your inner being, Christ dwelling in your heart by faith, that you would know how wide and long and high and deep is his love. Look at this. Love so wide that it includes everyone, every ethnos, sinner and saint. Love so long that it endures to the end. It is eternal and it is unstoppable. And his love is so long that it will outrun your life and you will never exhaust it. Love so high that you are raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's how high his love goes. So deep that it sinks into the most depraved part of who you are 
and delivers you from your depravity. This is the love of God. And if you're rooted and established in that, you can kiss your guilt and shame goodbye, trade slavery to your guilt and shame for prisonhood to Christ. Lock me up, Jesus. I want to be hooked up to your love, your forgiveness, your grace. I'm a prisoner of Christ and transform me. Now let me be an infected carrier, Christ dwelling in my heart through faith as I live in the world, bringing that grace and that love and that forgiveness and that rootedness, that guilt-free living, the mental health that I can have, the emotional health that I can have, the relationships that I can now bring life to because I don't need them to define me, but I'm whole in Christ and I can give and love freely. Holy cow, this changes the world while you get to live in the whole measure of the fullness of God himself. If you don't know the love of God, you can't know what I'm telling you about. And so here's our response, okay? Number one, that you would receive, that you would know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you would let go of your guilt and your shame let it be crucified to a cross. Let it be nailed with Christ. Let it be sent. This is what the Bible says. He throws your sin into the sea of forgetfulness. I had a friend in Montana. He would say, and he puts up a sign that says, no fishing. Because your sin's been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness, but you keep going fishing for it. Where'd it go? I want to bring back my guilt and my shame. No guilt, no shame. Listen, this is a harsh word, but you need to hear it. When you stare at your guilt and shame, it's called idolatry. Because you believe your guilt and your shame is more powerful than the shed blood of Jesus. How dare you? See, you think that you're looking respectfully at your sin, like you're giving a high view of your sin. But actually, you're giving a low view of the power of the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin. Aren't you something that your sin is so great that even the blood of Jesus can't wash it away? That's idolatry. Crucify your idolatry and join in the incredible love that God has given to you. And then join in with the mission of demonstrating the manifold wisdom of God, which is grace. In our world, the manifold wisdom would be power, control, domination, punishment, but in the kingdom of God, the wisdom of God, the mystery of God is love and grace. Receive it. Receive it. No one can do that for you. You have to receive it. And here's what you're too smart not to know. Apart from Jesus, you are guilty as charged. You don't need to pretend you're not guilty. You need a savior who paid the penalty of your sin, who removed it. And for that, we should have profound gratitude every single day. Second, your second response, I want you to show tangible love to someone in your oikos this week. Tangible love. I want you to do a demonstration of kindness and love to someone that God has brought into your life. It might be a note. It might be a good deed toward them that you don't even have to get credit for. It might be time. It might be a conversation. 
It might be uh, forgiving them. It might, who knows what it is, but I, God will help you. The Holy Spirit will quicken you. And I want you this week to do one tangible act of love for someone that God has brought into your life. And you don't need to blow a trumpet and make a big deal about it. Just do it. Okay, I'm going to pray for you. And then here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song together and celebrate that we are no longer slaves. And while we're doing that, there are going to be people at these prayer tables at either side of the room who are ready to pray for you. So if you would like to just carry your burden over there and let them pray with you about anything that's on your mind, if you're having a hard time receiving that kind of grace and love and forgiveness, let them pray with you about it. If you brought a need in the room, you have a loved one or you have a diagnosis or you have something going on in your life, they want to pray with you. So while we're doing this song, you can move over there and be prayed for. And uh, there's also communion elements over there. If you wanna just go celebrate the body and blood of Jesus who did this for us, then move over there and take communion. You can self-serve that as well. But we're gonna take this last song and just celebrate who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Man, let's pray. Lord, I, I beg of you, Holy Spirit, to do your best work in this room and online with people watching. Do your best work right now to deeply persuade that in Christ Jesus, I am free. Help us to be rooted and established in love. Help us to reject guilt and shame, not because we're not guilty, but because Jesus paid it all. Help us to live a demonstration of the manifold wisdom of God because we anchor and establish and root ourselves in your great love. Speak to us about people in our lives that we can show love to this week. Commission us. Have your way in us, we pray. Now help us as we worship you and give thanks for freedom from slavery and for any of those in our room and online who need to do more business with you, help them in this moment to shut themselves in with you and finish the work you want to do in their heart right now. For those who need prayer, give them the courage to take a walk to the side of the room or to drop it in the chat that they need prayer and meet as we agree together in prayer. Lord, we love you. How awesome it is to be your child. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.